0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar on pairwise testing using the ACTS or AX tool. I am Rex Black. I'm president of RBCS. We are a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we have delivered confidence and insight to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. So today is a One Key Idea session. It will be short and sweet. Uh, It's an abbreviated version of something longer that I gave a few years ago. If you're interested in that one, you can go uh, look that up on the uh, RBCS YouTube channel and give that a listen. But we're going to do the short Short and sweet version here um, in honor of the sniffly bats who brought us the spare time that we have at home. Um, So um, let's start with the problem we're trying to solve and go from there. Okay. So um, in a number of cases, we will have um, factors or variables that can take on different values or options, and I'm gonna use uh, the phrase factors and options uh, going forward just to be clear, but if you're more interested, more used to hearing about variables that take on values, and that's another way of thinking about it. So an example of this would be um, if you were looking at options for formatting a uh, text in, in uh, Microsoft Word and you open that font menu, Excuse me, and this would be true in other word processors as well. And you'd see, oh, well, there's things like superscript versus subscript and so forth. There's italicized, there's bold, there's um, underline. Um, there's all sorts of different um, factors that can take on different options. And um, now in, in standard... Um, testing theory when you're looking at uh factors that can take on options that are uh, supposed to be independent of each other they're unconstrained um, what we would say is well we should we should test the equivalence partitions for those if they're not um, sorted or ordered um, sorted or ordered meaning that that you can talk about one being greater than the other if they are sorted or sorted or ordered then you want to test boundary values right um, but that leaves out a possibility which is what if they what if they are interacting what if what if they're supposed to be unconstrained but there actually is some sort of undesirable interaction between them so if you wanted to try a brute force approach to attack that you'd be in big trouble really soon so if you have 10 input fields on a screen let's say and there's four equivalence partitions for each input field so the first um, can take on four different values the second four different values and so forth all the way to the 10th and I want to test all possible combinations now that's going to be four times four times four dot 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 you know all the way up So it's basically going to be four to the 10th or two to the 11th power, um, which is uh, 2048, 2048, if I remember right, which is a really big number. Okay. So as usual, brute force attempts to do exhaustive testing uh, fail uh, miserably. So you're sort of left going, well, hmm, what am I supposed to do if I want to try to see if there's undesirable interaction between different options that can be assigned to particular factors. So, um, there's a way of, of modeling this and this is what pairwise techniques do for us. And they create a tabular representation of the factors and the combinations of options for each factor. And then what we do is we test row by row. So the tables are generated in such a way that each row corresponds to a test. Now you might say, well, is this good enough? I mean, if we're just testing pairs, uh, what about triples and quadruples and quintuples and so forth, higher order combinations? Well, it turns out, and there's a fair amount of research that's been done on this, and it's quite unusual for the higher order combinations to cause problems. Generally, if you're gonna have some kind of issue, it's gonna be either a particular option for a particular factor doesn't work, regardless of what the options that you selected for the other factors are. And that's a singleton, and equivalence partitioning will find that for you. And then a smaller but still sizable percentage of problems can occur when a factor can take on an option and another factor can take on an option, but if those two factors take on the exact wrong option these two options for these two different factors that don't like each other, that will cause problems. So those are pairs of options. And the triples, quadruples, quintuples, and so forth uh, tend to not be um, as as big a cause of problems. Now, um, excuse me, there are papers, as I said, that that will discuss this for you. And um, fortunately, these papers can be found at the same location as a nice free tool from the federal government National Institutes of Standards and Technologies, can be obtained. So I'm going to show you this tool a little bit later um, and then uh, uh, point you in the direction of where to find that. And then if you want to get the um, theoretical justification for why this works, uh, that can be found uh, the same place you download the tool. But let's start by getting a little bit more clear. Now, we're going to... We're going to talk primarily, and I'm going to demonstrate primarily the use of a tool to solve these combinatorial problems, but the old school way of solving these problems was to use something called an orthogonal array. Um, and an orthogonal array is just a mathematical construct where you're guaranteed that every uh, possible pair of options across every possible pair of factors is is going to occur at least once in a row in the table. In fact, the number of times that pair occurs is referred to as the strength of the table. And if the strength is one, you're guaranteed that it will happen once. Now there are orthogonal arrays that you can find and download from this website that you see here. Um, York.ac.uk slash depth slash maths slash tables slash orthogonal for those listening on podcast. Um, I'm going to only use orthogonal arrays to demonstrate what the tools are doing first. And then I'm going to show you how to do this with a tool because really what you want to do is use a tool. And what I'm going to demonstrate is a freeware tool uh, called ACTS, as I said. And you can find a link to ACTS at www.pairwise.org as a good location to go find Pairwise Tools. Uh, There's also a tool out there called PICT or PICT. Which is available to download off of GitHub. I've used that one as well, and it's also a fairly useful tool. Um, there are some theoretical differences uh, with regard to an orthogonal array solution versus an all pairs table solution. As a general rule, when you're doing the kind of testing that we're going to look at here, that won't matter. So let's start just by demonstrating, just like really simple. If we were just thinking about orthogonal array, what is, what is an orthogonal array? And this, I'm not explaining these because I want you to understand orthogonal arrays. I'm, I'm wanting you to understand what I mean by pairs of options across pairs of factors. So this is an orthogonal array. So remember the orthogonal array is guaranteed to have every pair of possible options across every pair of factors. So this is a really simple orthogonal array because it only has two factors, one and two. And each factor can take on two options, zero and one. So, if we say what our first test would be is factor one taking on value zero, option zero, factor two taking on option zero. So, zero, zero, that's test number one. So, zero, one is test number two, one, zero, test number three, and one, one is test number four. Okay, now you might say my options may take on a zero and one what would that look like well that would be like clicked versus unclicked true versus false um, on versus off right those are, are boolean values that can take on a, a zero or one value so you might have those and if you only have two of them then you know here you are and you're gonna have four tests and you might say well that's that doesn't help me at all because that's you know two times two is four so that's all possible combinations but Take a look at this. Here's where the power of the pairwise techniques comes in. Let's suppose I have three Boolean factors, one, two, and three. Again, each one can take on an an option value of zero or one, on or off, true or false, okay? And we still have four tests, even though we're up to three factors. You might say, well, two to the third is eight. There's eight possible combinations, and that's true. There are eight possible combinations, but remember, we're not going down the brute force exhaustive testing primrose path because that leads to madness and infinite tests. We're just trying to test the pairs. So we want to make sure that with the the pairing of factor one with two, the pairing of factor one with three, and the pairing of factor two with three, every possible pair of options is represented. So if you look at, and again, for podcast listeners, I apologize, it's going to be a little hard to visualize, but the first row in that orthogonal array contains zero, 0, 0, the second 0, 1, 1, the third 3, 1, the third row 1, 0, 1, and the fourth row 1, 1, 0. Now, if I go pairs, pair of factors by pair of factors, I will go look at 1 and 2. So in the first row, I've got 00, zero second row zero, 01, third row 10, fourth row one, one. All possible pairs are there, see? Now what if I look at factor one with factor three? So I'm just gonna skip factor two in the middle there. First row again is 00, zero. second row again is zero, 01. Now the one zero value is in the fourth row, but it's still there. And the 1, 1 value is in the third row. See, all four possible pairs of options across the, the pairing of factor 1 with 3 are there. And then if I pair factors 2 and 3, 0, zero is in row 1 again. zero one 1 is in row 3. One zero is in row 4. And 1, 1 is in row 2. See how that works? They're all there. All the possible pairs of options across all possible pairs of factors are there. And as you continue to add more factors, the number of rows will generally not increase or will increase only slightly. This is where the power of this technique comes in and you will see that here shortly. Now let's move to a slightly more complicated problem. Um, Let's say that we wanted to test compatibility of the RBCS website, so we're going to look at a relatively slower Wi-Fi connection speed and a, a higher uh, wired connection speed, so they've got two values for connection speed, so that's you know, two options there, okay. But for operating system, we have four possibilities, Mac, Linux, Windows 7, and Windows 10. And then for the security factor, we have four options, OS only, Symantec, Trend Micro, and McAfee. And for the browser, we have Chrome, Internet Explorer, and Opera. Okay, so three options. So um, this is where the orthogonal array technique gets a little cumbersome, because if I wanted to do this, I'd have to go out to that york.co.uk website And look for an array that had the right number of columns and the right number of uh, numbers per column and the right number of rows, which since four is the maximum number of options for any factor, it's generally going to be four squared, what that value is going to be. So I'd have to go find the orthogonal array. And then I would have to um, it says AT and T site here. AT and used to have a orthogonal arrays available that now you would get them off the York site. So what I would do is I download the orthogonal array, which is shown in the middle of the slide. You import that into Excel using the um, import wizard, which will you tell it to fix columns and so forth, and you then add the test numbers on the left hand side, and you add the factor names on the top of it and then you change in the speed column zero to be Wi-Fi and one to be wired and then uh, two and three to be the tildes which represents testers choice. Basically says you can choose either Wi-Fi or wired whichever is more convenient to you. And then in the OS column you'd substitute zero or Mac for zero, Linux for one, Windows seven for two and Windows 10 for three and you get the column that you see for OS there. Security would be, and zero for just OS security, one for Symantec, two for Trend, micro three for McAfee. And then with the browsers, we have three options. So zero is going to become Chrome. One becomes IE. Two becomes Opera. And three, since we don't have a fourth option for the browser, becomes um, tester's choice. And again, tester's choice means you just test with whatever you want. Um, okay. So, um, this can be done and and it's, if you've done it enough times, like I have, it's not tremendously difficult, but you know, it's still, it's, it's work. Um, and if the problem changes like, oh wait, we want to now support, um, you know, two different versions of Mac say, or something like that, or we want to support Chromebook or something like that then um, you have to actually, you have to do the whole exercise over again. You got to go out find the orthogonal array and map the problem onto it and so forth. Sure, the orthogonal arrays are free, but wouldn't it be nice if there were free tools? Well, it is nice, isn't it? So it's nice to have free tools. And so there are a few out there, as I've said. <coughs> and yes, I did cough into my sleeve there. I was uh, practicing social distancing, even though you're all way away from me. Um, So there are a number of free tools, as I said, PICT, that P-I-C-T tool is one of them. AXE is another. Both of these are listed at the pairwise.org website. So let's take a look at the same problem that we just solved using the AXE tool, which uh, you can find again at the pairwise site, which will redirect you to the NIST.gov site. And if you search for the ACTS string on the NIST.gov site, it'll take you to the ACTS or ACTS page, where you can not only uh, ask for a copy of the tool, which will then be promptly emailed to you, you can also download the papers that I was talking about, which will explain why this is okay. Whoops. Okay, so let's let's get the tool up. Okay, so the tool is a uh, executable JAR file. So when you get it, that's, that's what, you, what you get. You get an executable JAR file along with some other supporting stuff, and it uses XML to store its data. And the solution that I get for the problem that we were just looking at, the, the RBCS compa- web compatibility looks like this. So again, we have 16 rows, the same as before. Um, It's not quite identical. There are some differences in terms of uh, which values are in which rows, but remember, it doesn't matter. What matters is not the value of any given row, it's the values of the pairs across the possible pairs of columns, and are they all represented? So let's look at just connection with OS. So we got wired with Mac, We got wired with Linux, we have wired with Windows 7, and we've got wired with Windows 10. Okay, those are there. And we've got Wi-Fi with Mac, and we've got Wi-Fi with Linux, Uh, we've got Wi-Fi with Windows 7, and we've got Wi-Fi with Windows 10. Sorry about the ringing phone in the background here. We are in the office today, and there's gonna be some phone noise. So you can see that all possible pairs of options across the, the pair of factors connection with the OS are represented um, in the table. And you can go through and satisfy yourself that that's true for any of the other um, uh, pairs that you might wanna look at, pairs of, of factors. And I say, okay, well, that's the solution. How, how did you get that? Well. What you have? Oops. Let's see why is it doing that? I don't know why is doing that? Hang on, I put it in the wrong place. Ah, here we go. Drag that over there. So um, what you can see is I've got I set up these parameters, and the way that you do this is you add a parameter type and you define it. So, I could set up another one, let's call new param, let's say. Okay. And um, I'm sorry, something weird just happened there. And then I can say, oh, well, actually, I don't think I can have spaces in there. I think new param. Let's do it that way. And then I could choose to be an enumerated type. So enumerated type means that I give, I assign specific values. Boolean means it's either true or false. Uh, it can be a number. It's another possibility. And then I, if numbers, I can select uh, range uh, values there, what the minimums and maximums are. You can see those shown there. Um, and then it can be... Uh, uh, No, sorry, range range is where you can select the values. If you say number, it's unconstrained. Um, So there's four different possible values for the parameters, four different values that they can take on, basically. Um, And then you would just um, add that to the table. Now I'm going to cancel that because I don't actually want to do that. But let's see, modify it brought it up in the wrong place again, but okay. So so basically I add each parameter and parameter type and values and so forth. And then um, once I've made the changes, if I actually want to make changes, I would say modify system. And then notice that up here it says test set out of sync with system. So then what I would wanna do is say build it's supposed to happen. Oh, wait. It's it's popping up the window in the wrong place. So when I say build, it then uh, brings up this options window here, which you can see. Again, apologies for those of you who are trying to follow along on a podcast here. It'd be easiest if you just, if you got the tool first and then uh, gave this a shot. So, I can say, okay, what is the strength of the table that I want, and that's strength two means pairs. I can say strength one, which just means equivalence partitions. I can say strength three, which means triples, so forth. Mode from scratch, as opposed to extend the existing table. Uh, Constraint handling, Um, there are different ways of handling constraints, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but we're not gonna try to get into it. and then there are different algorithms. If you're interested, you can read about what the different algorithms do, but we're not gonna get into those. The IPOG is the recommended algorithm. And I click, go ahead and do it, replace, and now we're back. Okay, and notice this one does look a little different. It, uh, this time it, uh, uh, fully specified the values because I told it to uh, randomize the uh, don't care values. So I gave it, it got, it got uh, randomized values there. Um, so that's, that's a simple problem solved with this tool. Now let's move on to a somewhat more complicated problem here. Um, go into presentation mode just so this looks a little nicer. Because it might not be all that impressive to you when you think, well, you know, there's only four four factors there and maximum four um, options per factor. So, you know, I mean, 16 tests, okay. I'm I'm not that impressed. Well, let's suppose, though, that you were testing a mobile app and what you're finding is that connectivity factors and the options that are assigned to those factors have a strong effect on it. Now, I've, I've seen this myself. I had, at one time, I had a podcast app that I use, which I no longer use. Um, and um, that, that uh, podcast app would uh, uh, do very irritating things if connectivity status changed. Um, it would like pause or skip ahead or go on mute for a while it was really irritating so it had some major issues with um, with connectivity uh, and how it would affect it so you might want to do a test like this if you're building testing a mobile app in fact i recommend that you do so we look at like okay what are all the different connectivity factors let's say for this particular system we're looking at we got bluetooth wi-fi connection wi-fi frequency wi-fi calling so Wi-Fi calling being, will it switch to switch a phone call to Wi-Fi if it needs to? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, as a near-field communication, uh, mobile data, and the mobile connection options. Okay. So you notice it here. This is a pretty complicated. We got two, four, seven factors, and a number of different options per factor in some cases. Uh, so this could really kind of blow up. Um, in a, in trying to attack this brute force, um, and let's also just just put a pin in this for the moment. Let's assume that I'm particularly worried about the three Wi-Fi factors, and that they might interact. So what I could do, going back over to get the tool up, okay, build a solution that looks like this. All right, so you see the the factors there. Expand that out a little bit, so. so. Too much scrolly stuff going on. A little little scrolly stuff. And notice I was right, you can't have spaces in the factor names. You can use underscores. I think you can use dashes too, but maybe not. So I think a dash might have a special meaning in the constraint editor. Um, so here's my solution and it's got 28 rows i say, hmm, that, that seems like it's a larger number than it would have to be when there's no more than five, you look at there are no more than five options for each factor. Well, that's, that is true. Um, but, um, what I've done here is said modify this and it's got to come up so um here are the the factors uh with their potential options see if I can make that a little bigger There, you can see them there, and again, that's just add. You add the uh, parameters one by one um, with their possible values. Now, the thing I've also done here, though, as I said, hey, um, for Wi-Fi connection, Wi-Fi frequency, and Wi-Fi calling, I want the strength of three. I want the triples on that, not the, not just the pairs. Okay. So that's something you can do. If there's some particular set of parameters, you're like, yeah, those guys really worry me. I want to make sure that I've tested all the ways that those can interact, then I can do that. All right, Um, now there's also a way of doing constraints. So I can say this thing, this, this parameter or this factor, if it takes on this particular value or option this other thing can't take on that option. And notice that I have one of those here. I've got a constraint. Um, Let's see if I can get this spinning out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, this is saying this constraint is saying if Wi Fi connection equals no connect or if Wi Fi connection equals off, then just set the Wi Fi frequency to be 2.4. And this is why we have 28 rows in the table rather than 40 rows in the table because if we go back to the problem. We have one, two, three, four possible values for a Wi-Fi connection. One, two, three, four, five for Wi-Fi frequency and two for Wi-Fi calling. So two times five times four would be 40. So theoretically, there would be 40 rows in the table. But because if the Wi-Fi connection is off, or the Wi-Fi connection is there's no connection, then we're not going to try to do a bunch of combinations with that because obviously there's nothing interesting happening with the Wi-Fi signal in either case. Now the constraint editor is pretty powerful but it's not all that well described in the documentation. Um, I would encourage you to just get it. put on your big boy or big girl pants and uh, do a little experimentation with it. It'll take a while uh, to figure it out, but not all that long. Um, generally speaking, when people start playing around with it, they, they get a pretty good sense of it uh, in the space of, um, you know, a few hours. I'm not going to bother to save that. So that's the, uh, that's the axe tool. Um, a nice little, Piece of free stuff from your uh, friendly neighborhood federal government. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and put the advertisement up. If any of you have any uh, questions, um, really don't have a whole lot to add to what I showed you, other than you know, if they, for more information, go out to pairwise.org and navigate either to the the acts page. On the NIST.gov website or the Pict page. Again, I've used both of those tools. They're free and they're um, um, very quick. Um, they're, they're no no bells and whistles, you know. But uh, they, um, as I said, they are they are free. Um, so uh, um, and and quite powerful. So I think they're uh, they're good value for what they uh, what they are. I got a question from Julio here. It says, when trying to test that bigger amount of combinations, uh, well, when trying to test a bigger amount of combinations, won't that stop making sense manually, is the implication, and only some kind of automation is the right approach? All right. So Julio, um, it's true that one can, with automation, test a large, larger number of combinations, but let me let me warn you of something because this is a this is a trap that some of my clients that I work with, um, actually a number of my clients that I work with on automation, fall into. And this is seeing the automation as a bucket of infinite size and speed. And what I mean by that is infinite size implying I can put as many tests in there as I want um, and run them because they they run for free and the infinite speed, meaning I can put as many tests in there as I want and run them because they'll they'll all run overnight anyway. Both of those assumptions are fallacious. Um, Automation dramatically reduces the cost to run a test, but it does not take it to zero. Um, So you still have a greater than zero cost associated with running a test, Um, and so the bucket is not of infinite size. There's, you have to think about what actually belongs in the bucket and it's not of infinite speed either. Even though automated tests can run very fast, they do not run infinitely fast and eventually what will happen if you take a brute force to test design and just start automating the hell out of everything that comes along is you will run out of space in your bucket and sometimes what organizations will do is, oh, you know, no problem. We'll just spin up another virtual machine and we'll run you know, half of the bucket on one and half of the bucket on the other. But, well, yep, but then eventually there's another virtual machine and another virtual machine. And guess what? Now your cost per test is going up because you're adding more hardware resource. So um, test design techniques still matter. They still matter when you're doing automation. You still want to do an effective and efficient set of tests, not just think, well, I've got this big, powerful tool This automation tool, I'm just going to use it to just bang the hell out of everything I can. So great question, Julio. Hope that was a useful answer. Um, Now, I see somebody popped up in the chat box uh, with regard to something earlier, with regard to the orthogonal array. Um, Let's go back to that. Um, oh, yeah, it's this one. Now, generally, I don't look at the chat box, so just something to, to, to warn you about. Um, you you will uh, – usually I won't see this, but I did see this one from Brian. Brian, next time, try to drop that into the QA box, if you will. We have this one last question and wrap it up because we're running along. Uh, Brian asks, "What about one 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 with regard to this particular um, uh, table?" Well, remember, we're not guaranteeing all possible triples, or quadruples, or quintuples, or so forth. There's no nothing beyond triples on this table. We're just guaranteeing pairs. So when you ask, "What about one one one?" then the answer is, I don't care if one 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 is in there. But what I care is that one and one for factors one and two are there, one and one for factors two and three are there, and one and one for factors one and three are there. Those are all the possible pairs of one with one across the possible pairs of factors, one with two, one with three, and two with three. And those are all there, albeit in different rows. So hopefully that uh, that addressed the question with that. All right. Whoops, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, there we go. So um, put the ad back up while we uh, while we roll this thing to a close. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed this free uh, webinar, um, part of the monthly series. We've got two for this month. Um, now, just a reminder: we do these webinars, these free webinars, as a service to the software testing community, because at RBCS we are a not just for profit company. But keep in mind that's not just for profit. We do need to make a profit or at least break even, and during these challenging times, um, I would appreciate you keeping this thought in mind. If you enjoy our free webinars and all the other free stuff, the hundreds of free resources that we give away on various RBCS resources like the ones you see here, and you feel that those resources demonstrate solid insights into the kinds of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training related to software testing. We don't expect to win all your business, but we would very much appreciate a chance to bid on all of your business that relates to this. Now more than ever, this is particularly important as we're all going through this tough time. So if uh, you're looking for some help with regard to software testing, please give us a chance to bid on it. Uh, Happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. So contact us, info at rbcs-us.com. And uh, until next time, uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, Try not to catch the sniffles or worse from any bats that might come flying by.